0: All right, let's open our Bibles as we are studying through the book of uh, 1 Samuel. We're studying the life of David. We find ourselves this morning in our text, 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 13. The topic we'll find there is this, David repeatedly inquires of the Lord To Determine God's Will for He and His Men. The title of our message, The Spiritual Inquirer. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank You for our time in the Word this morning. We pray, as always, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And that uh, regardless, Lord, the Word spoken here, You would uh, take from the passage, Lord, and, and make application to our hearts. We always want to be a little bit more like Jesus than when we first came in. We want to recognize his love and mercy and grace in, uh, in a greater way than we ever have before. And so reveal him to us, Lord, we pray, as we study this section. We pray in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. Zabihullah Mojahid, a Taliban spokesman, bluntly announced, Yesterday, at around 0800, one of our patrols confronted a group of foreigners. They were Christian missionaries And we killed them all. It was, in fact, a medical missions team of ten people, including six Americans, attacked on August 7th. I'm sure you read about it. How do you end up being murdered on a remote road in Afghanistan? Well, it's simple, really. You inquire of the Lord as to where He wants you to go. When He answers, you arise and go there, accepting the risk that is inherently involved. The more I thought about that formula, inquire, arise, accept, the more I realized that it is what Christians do all over the world almost every day. We inquire of the Lord every day. We call it devotions, but whatever we call it, we offer ourselves up fresh to the Lord as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him, which is our reasonable response to His saving us. Then we arise and we go out to our mission field. It might be no further than down the hallway or our place of employment or a classroom, but it is nonetheless the place God has sent us to serve him. And sometimes there's a a shift in those places as well as we move into new areas of our life. But then we accept the risk of serving him in that place or those places. Some places are obviously riskier than others but all places have at least some potential risk for the believer in Jesus Christ. Now, this same behavior is modeled for us by David in the verses that we're going to cover today, except that in addition to accepting the risk of serving the Lord, David also shows us how to accept the rejection that often accompanies serving the Lord. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one. You are to inquire, arise, and then accept the risk of serving the Lord. And number two, you are to inquire, arise, and then accept the rejection in serving the Lord. Let's take a look, first of all, at the risk in verses one through six. Now, twice in this section, we're going to be told that David inquired of the Lord. We'll see it in verses 2 and 4. And then when he does so again in verses 9 through 12, we'll see how he inquired of the Lord. He had the priest bring the ephod to him. Now, the ephod was a garment originally designed for the high priest. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 28 and chapter 39. It was made of, and I quote, gold, blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. We're told it was held together by two shoulder pieces and a skillfully woven band, which served as a girdle for the ephod on the shoulder pieces were two onyx stones on which were engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's not known whether the ephod extended below the hips or only to the waist Attached to the ephod by chains of pure gold was a breastplate containing 12 precious stones in four rows. Underneath the ephod was the blue robe of the ephod extending to the feet of the priest. The robe of the ephod was thus a garment comprising, in addition to the robe, the ephod with its shoulder pieces and the breastplate. And so it's this elaborate garment that you see whenever you see the depiction of the Old Testament uh, high priest. Now, mentioned in conjunction with the high priest's ephod are the Urim and Thummim. Not Uma Thurman, but the Urim and the Thummim. These were gemstones that were somehow carried by the high priest on the ephod. They were used by the priest to inquire God's will in certain situations. Scholars propose that God would cause the Urim and Thummim to light up in various patterns to reveal his decision. Others might, uh, or rather, propose that the Urim and Thummim were kept in a pouch and were engraved with symbols identifying yes or no or true or false. Kind of like casting lots, you would ask a question, then reach in and you would get the Lord's answer. And though that sounds weird to us, the Old Testament says this is uh, that the Lord was over that and that He spoke in that way. Now, Abiathar, who became high priest after the assassination of his father and the other 84 priests by Doeg, brought uh, to the camp of David the ephod worn by the high priest when he fled there from Nob. Keep this in mind as background as we now examine the narrative beginning in verse 1. Then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. The Philistines were essentially pirates. They would lie in wait until the Jewish farmers had brought in their harvest, and then they would raid their threshing floors and plunder them. Uh, If you have children, uh, you'll be familiar with the movie Bugs Life, Uh, it's like uh, the they were the uh, grasshoppers in Bug's life. They would wait until the ants brought in the harvest and then they would swoop in and act all mean and take most of the harvest for themselves. Not all of it because they wanted them to have enough strength to plant next year. Uh, and it was uh, it was kind of a system that they had worked out, the Philistines. King Saul should have been doing something about it, but he was too intent on trying to kill David. And so all of this was going on in his kingdom. So why tell David. He wasn't their king, he was still in exile, he was still a fugitive. Well, still, he had the means, in an army, and he had the heart to do something. Well, our king is Jesus, and he's still in a kind of exile as he's gone, waiting to return to the earth. Meantime, we are his means to do something to help others. If the problem is spiritual, and most often the problem is then the average believer in Jesus Christ is better equipped to address it than any non-believing so-called expert. And that's why a lot of times when you're just going about your business as a Christian in your home, at your place of business, at school, sooner or later someone will find you and seek help from you. Because though you think your witness isn't going anywhere, that nothing's happening, uh, it is having an effect on them. They are noticing that there's something different about you. And when uh, the chips are down and they need help, they understand that they can get help from you. And they are drawn to you. They don't really come usually and say, what must I do to be saved? But they say, look, my marriage is falling apart. My life is falling apart. Things aren't going well. And, and I see something in your life that's way different. Uh, and they come to you for help. Uh, sometimes they come to you after they've been to experts who are no help uh, because their lives are falling apart even worse uh, than the people that they're helping. I remember before I was a Christian, I wanted to study, uh, I was, I graduated from the University of California, Riverside, uh, with a degree in psychology, and I wanted to go on and, and get into a counseling program so I could help people. Uh, I was a drug addicted alcoholic wife hater, uh, but I thought I could help people, uh, you know, tell them what not to do, I guess, you know, but anyway, so that's the world out there, and people are seeking you because you have the heart to help them, Uh, And you have someone to point them to. Verse 2, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, these Urim and Thummim stones, they're pretty talkative. I'm not sure how you get from yes or no to go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. I have to think that there was a little more involved with them than we typically understand. We can't say for sure because not much is told us about those stones, but it's likely that other means of inquiry were also used in conjunction with them. Otherwise, you would not have so complete a message. Now, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about this right now. David, He loves to kill Philistines. I mean, he just can't wait to kill Philistines, but he still waits. He inquires of the Lord because now he's responsible for other people. We read a couple of chapters ago that the distress and the discontent and people in debt, a lot of people were gathering to him. Uh, and, and they were kind of a motley army. And, y- you know, he said, Lord, you know, we should go down and kill the Philistines, but do you really want us to do that? Is that something? Because I have to think about these other people now. And, and the Lord said, yeah, go for it. And so in verse 3, But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So David and his men with their babies were on the run. <laughs> well, it's true. It was all they could do to stay one step ahead of King Saul and his army. To openly attack the Philistines only brought them greater visibility and danger, and they may not have thought that they were really ready to take on the Philistines. Now, the truth is, they were an army, a formidable one at that, but they considered avoiding confrontation and remaining in hiding. I hope that never describes the church of Jesus Christ. We are an army. We need to be on the front lines rather than constantly being supplied in a place of hiding. Now let me mention that because it seems like if you've been a Christian for a while you have a tendency sometimes to get a little bit lazy, a little bit apathetic, spend a lot of time in hiding, being resupplied. The Lord wants to resupply you so He can send you back out onto the front lines where you can continue to fight and deliver people From the enemy. Verse 4 Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now, I think there are two lessons here, at least, and they seem opposite, but they're both true. The first lesson for the followers of David was that they ought to have trusted in his leadership, not blindly, of course, but they knew that he had sought the Lord, that he had inquired of the Lord using the ephod. He went through the normal means and it was their spiritual service to submit to them. Add to that they were in a a a monarchy, even though David wasn't the king yet, they were used to doing what their leader told them to do. That's the way things worked in their culture. And so they ought to have just thought, well, David, you know, we came down here to be led by David. David is seeking the Lord. He's in a good place in his life. He's got the ephod. Uh, He says, we're going to go fight the Philistines. He has a pretty good track record fighting Philistines. Let's do this thing. I think we miss out on a lot of blessing when we simply don't want to submit to godly leadership. And when your leadership is godly in the sense that what they're asking is not sinful, they're not living in sin, it's just a direction that they want to go, then just submit to it and see what the Lord will do with it. Now, the second lesson is for David, and that is if the Lord is leading, there's nothing wrong with confirming his leading by continuing to seek him. It wasn't a lack of faith on David's part, but rather to increase the faith of his men. And so David had sought the Lord. He knew what the Lord wanted him to do. The men were a little bit hesitant. And so David, rather than say, you're coming anyway, this is where we're going. He said, well, okay. I heard from the Lord. Let's make sure this is from the Lord. Let's confirm this. David had a confidence that if God was speaking, he would speak to all of his men. Now, there comes a point at which you still need to press forward having heard from the Lord. Uh, A lot of times people say, well, we're going to wait until we have consensus, until everybody agrees. Man, you're still waiting if you're waiting for that. Because it's possible there are times that people, you want to move in some area and people are afraid for some reason or they just don't have a heart for it or whatever it might be. Uh, And so at some point, you're going to lose a window of opportunity. The Philistines are coming, they're going to raid Keilah. That's a point in time. You can kind of confirm what the Lord wants you to do up until the point they're coming. And then you have to act. You either have to stay behind or you have to engage them. And so uh, David said, all right, let's, let's, let's seek the Lord again. Maybe bring the others with him or representatives from the army. He says, let's, let's seek the Lord again and see what he would have to say. I, I heard him. Let's all hear him. Uh, in the meantime, encouraging others to inquire of the Lord It's a good thing. And so verse 5, David and his men went to Keilah. They fought with the Philistines. They struck them with a mighty blow. They took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Not only did they keep them from plundering uh, the city and the Israelites there, they stole from them. They took plunder from them. They enriched uh, their uh, countrymen from them. So it was a complete victory. Now, it happened, verse 6, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now, the readers of 1 Samuel already knew from the opening verses that David would have inquired using the ephod. So why mention it here? It seems almost out of order. Well, I'm just speculating, but... I'd say it had to be for emphasis. It's to remind them again that he was inquiring of the Lord. It's like saying, do you see how important it was that Abiathar grabbed the ephod and brought it to David and that David inquired of the Lord? It brought him into a place of victory against his enemies. And to us, it's saying, do you see how important it is that you inquire of the Lord day by day to discern the Lord's will? Now, quite honestly, um, a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of times we're pretty locked into what we're doing. We've 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 gotten to where we want to get or we're on our way to where we want in the particular field or area. We like the city that we're in. We like the people that we're around. I'm all for that. I've been here twenty five years. I don't want to go anywhere. I love Hanford. Uh, I even I would live in Riverdale. If I had to, you know, I keep thinking the Lord's going to find me a house in Riverdale because I keep making fun of it. But, you know, that I'm all into that. But what I'm suggesting is that we still need to inquire of the Lord day by day. And at least for some of us, the Lord is going to shake things up from time to time. And he's going to say, I've got something else for you. There's a new city, there's a new challenge, there's a new career, there's a new whatever it would be. And, and it's not really something necessarily that we've been thinking about. It, it's not just all my life I've wanted to go back to school and you know, make more money or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a change where the Lord comes in and He says, Hey, have you, I'm, I'm going to start putting something on your heart and I want you to pray about it and I want you to consider it. It might even might be a short term thing could be a short term mission trip could be a long term change, but we need to continue to inquire of the Lord. I guess what I'm saying is you have to have the attitude that you're never really where God wants you to be unless you're in touch with him. And he says, yeah, this is the place because there is a lot of movement in the Bible. There's a lot of people moving around, going to different places as God continues to reveal himself to them. Now. We don't really use the Urim and thumum anymore. I, I, I hope you know that. When we first moved into the building here, I thought we might find them because the building is so old, you know. And so Kenny's been looking. All, you ever wonder what Kenny is doing? Sometimes digging. He's looking for the Urim and thumum. Now I know they're probably in Eureka because Glenn's building is older. And if anybody has them, it's Baptist in Eureka. But anyway, uh, but... That's not how we discern God's will. How do we do it? Well, first of all, you keep yourself in a place, spiritually speaking, where you can pick up on God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2, offering yourself a living sacrifice, etc., etc., so that you can prove the acceptable will of God. The Lord. And so you need to be presenting yourself to the Lord, a living sacrifice day by day so that you're on what I guess what we could say for lack of a better illustration, you're on God's frequency. He sees you. He, you're dialed in. Lord, I'm here. Uh, I'm I'm presenting myself to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to do it. Uh, and, and so I'm in a place where you can reveal your will to me. Then, quite honestly, uh. Most of God's will has already been revealed to us in the Bible. And by that, I mean in the big areas of our life and in a lot of the smaller ones, we can appeal to Scripture and know exactly what God's will is. I don't want to get off into a tangent about marriage, but marriage is a great example. God has spoken extensively on Christian marriage, what it is, what it ought to be, what it can be, what the roles are, what the responsibilities are, how to approach it. And so when we study that, God's saying, this is my will for your marriage. He said he's got a lot of sections in the New Testament about your employment. Here's how you you should relate to your boss or to your employees. And on and on and on, all of that is God's will for my life in a very big general way. And so there's a lot of things. You know, if I get up in the morning and I'm having marital problems and I'm a Christian and there's no spiritual grounds for divorce, I'm not seeking God's will as to whether he wants me to stay married or not. That's been decided for me. Uh, And so I think you understand that. Still, there are going to be times when you can go left or right, you can say yes or no. I always like the model of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 13, for example, The men were waiting on the Lord in prayer when the Holy Spirit somehow spoke to them. We assume it was through one of the prophets who was there bringing a prophecy. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. that was the episode where he said that he wanted Barnabas and Paul to go off on a missionary journey. Then they continued in prayer to confirm what they had heard from the Holy Spirit. And so there are going to be those times I've presented myself to the Lord. I know what his will is for the biggest parts of my life. But how about this decision right here? Well, I'm going to have to spend time with the Lord, with the Lord's people seeking the Lord. There remains a certain mystery to God's will, because I would say God is romantic and he wants you to seek him. He wants you to desire him the way a panting deer desires the water. You can't remove this element without turning your walk into something strictly mechanical. Mechanical Christianity is an ugly thing. If, you, if you're David and his men and you don't inquire of the Lord, then you're just going to go on your natural wisdom. And maybe you're David and you say, I love to kill Philistines. Let's go. And your men say, no, we don't think this is a good idea. Well, you're, you're stymied. What are you supposed to do? Chances are the majority is going to rule. They're going to say, yeah, we're already in hiding. It's already bad enough for us. The Philistines come every year. When you're king, then we'll be able to do something about it. But right now we have to think about ourselves. But God said, no, how about you inquire of me and I'll tell you what to do. And then he did it and they went and they had this great victory. And so the Lord has to be sought Uh, in our lives and it has to be on a daily basis and we have to be open to what he might say to us. And when this happens, I'm going to tell you right now, God is going to call upon you to take risks. If he doesn't, then you're probably not hearing from him and it's probably because you've reduced discovering his will to a matter of what makes the most sense to you. Now, I'm not talking about taking crazy risks or putting yourself out there, uh, you know, needlessly. But I think you, if you read the Bible, you come to the uh, conclusion that God puts people out in front. He brings them right to the edge so that they have to depend upon him. The Christian life is a life of risk, uh, supernatural risk. Serving the, the Lord always been a risky business. We're promised persecution and suffering. We're told the world will hate us. We read about believers whose lives were required but who were heroes in the hall of faith. We read about them not just in the Bible but in the news. And so check to see if there's a measure of risk in your life. If not, again, I'm not saying to just go out and do something reckless for the sake of it. I'm saying that you should get back to the basic formula Inquire of the Lord, arise, go do what he tells you to do, accept whatever risk is involved because that's what brings glory to God. Now in the remaining verses, we're going to see something else. We're going to see that you also sometimes have to accept the rejection of serving the Lord. The defense of Keilah is the very first ministry of David and his men. Thus it is instructive that the very people he and his men risk their lives to save quickly rejected him. It's instructive in that serving others assumes a great deal of rejection, and if you're not ready to be rejected, it could cripple you. Verse 7, and Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now, the tremendous ministry high of defeating the enemies of God and delivering the people of God was going to be immediately challenged. You and I cannot live on the spiritual adrenaline of ministry highs. I love them. They're great. But we are in this for the long haul. We serve looking past the people and the circumstances to the Lord. It's his assessment that we care about. I'm not saying that you I mean, you can't always have joy, uh, joy unspeakable and full of glory and all of that, but there are going to be high points in the ministry, mountaintop experiences, but there's going to be an awful lot of valley walking as well. Uh, and, and you can't just live for the highs uh, and think that everything is going to go your way. Saul did not inquire of the Lord. Nevertheless, he thought circumstances favored him and thus it must be God's will. He's an example of relying on your own wisdom or your own thoughts, not seeking the Lord. You're going to misinterpret circumstances based on your own desires. He wanted to kill David, which, by the way, was not in the will of God. Uh, But he he was thinking wasn't seeking the Lord, didn't care what the general will of God was. He just cared about Saul. And so when he saw that David was going to be locked up in the city of Keilah, he said, this is God's given him to me. I'm going to go and kill him. Uh, and and this can happen, uh, we can misinterpret circumstances if we're not careful. Now here comes the part that hurts. Verse 9, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant is heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Now, David had just delivered the men of Keilah from the Philistines. They were going to repay him by delivering him to Saul in terms we can relate to, they would reject David. Now, anyone who serves the public, especially those who are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice of their lives, military, police, fire services, those kinds of individuals, you know that the particular individuals you save may not be grateful. They may be, in fact, ungrateful. But whether it's your nation or your city or whoever it is that you work for, uh, you work to save people. Uh, and, and you don't ask, you don't, you don't wait to figure out, are these people worthy of me running into a burning building or should I just let them burn? These people who are being robbed or their houses, you know, being invaded, are they worthy of us going in there and risking our lives? This country that we are liberating, Is it worth uh, the cost of the American lives? If you serve, you understand that people aren't always grateful. Now, it may not be the first thing you learn about serving others in the Lord, but pretty early on, you're going to suffer rejection from people. You must know and believe it is the Lord you are serving. If you look to the people, you're not going to last very long. If rejection doesn't merely cripple you from serving, it makes you bitter in your serving. There's, There's probably more... Uh, You know, uh, alternatives, but either people, they start serving the Lord and they're on this ministry high and then some bad things happen. People reject them or misunderstand them and then they just quit. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with serving. I had a bad experience. Other people go on serving the Lord, but I I don't know if it's better or worse. They have a terrible, bitter heart about it. And and so you need to understand going into it or at some point, maybe today's the point you understand, people are going to reject you. Every situation is not going to be easy. Tucked away in this dialogue between God and David is a phrase, Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Now, David had acted to save them from the Philistines, but being in the city, he now put them at risk from Saul because Saul was demented and he would have killed the men of Keilah to get to David. David. And so while on the one hand I understand that these guys are rejecting David, they're not willing to, to stand with him, David started this thing by saying, Lord, I want to do what you tell me to do, I want to help the people you tell me to help, and the Lord said, go help the men of Keilah. And now he was putting them at risk, and the best way to help them was to get out of there and to go back on the run. And what it shows us is that David had a heart to serve others, putting himself last just doing what the Lord told him to do. It's a great job description for us as we serve Jesus. Don't expect anything in return except from the Lord. You'll receive things that are spiritual from the Lord. The Apostle Paul, for example, after everything he went through said in 1 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. You read about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts all the hundreds and thousands of people who came to Christ because he was willing to lay down his life, he was willing to go to prison, to be beaten, to be stoned to death, to be shipwrecked, to be robbed, to have his clothes taken from him, all the things he talks about. And there when he needs somebody, or not needs necessarily, but when he's he's giving a defense of himself before the authorities, he says, not one person would come and stand with me. But that's not true because he goes on to say, "Except the Lord. And and that's who he was doing it for anyway. He was doing it for Jesus. Our situation as servants of Jesus isn't quite that bleak. In fact, it's not really bleak at all, especially if we keep our eyes on him. To have the privilege of serving the Lord cancels out any amount of risk or rejection. To hear him one day say, well done, that is going to be precious. We're all moving towards that time in our life when... Either we die or are raptured and we stand before the Lord. He reviews our service. It won't matter how people reacted to you. As long as your motives were right and you were doing what the Lord told you to do, he's going to be able to say, well done. That was great. And when you say, well, Lord, you know, all those people rejected me. They all left. They said mean things about me, etc., etc., etc. And the Lord say, sure, yeah. Did you read the Gospels? Yeah, I read them through. That's exactly what happened to me. There on the cross, I looked down and John was really the only one there. Everybody else had scattered. I was rejected by my own nation, rejected by my own people, my own disciples who I'd been with for three and a half years, for the most part scattered. I know what you're going through. I know what you're talking about. But the greater good was that I was able to offer salvation and deliverance to all people everywhere, whosoever would be saved. I did it for my Father, for the greater good. You did it for me, for the greater good. Well done. Way to go. Wow. If I could only remember that all the time. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To think that I just really want Jesus to talk to me. I mean, people are brutal. Circumstances are terrible. It's not always just people. Sometimes it's your circumstances. You get up and you think, Lord, when is this going to change? I know you could do something. I read the Bible. You did something here. Well, this I don't really like what you did with Jonah, but forget that, you know. And Job, I could do without that, but this other stuff was great. And, uh, you know, the Lord, He says, are you going to believe me that all things work together for the good? That I have begun a good work in you and I'll perform it until the day Christ comes for you? Are you going to believe that or not? And I go, I believe it, Lord, but I don't like it. I want to be on a high all the time. I want—I'm a ministry junkie, you know—more this, more that, always on a high, high, high. I don't like the valleys. And the Lord says, "Well, that's just the way it is. If you're going to follow in the fellowship of my sufferings and go deeper in the Christian life, uh, and so that's the deal. Uh, there's risk, uh, and we need to accept that. There's rejection, and we need to accept that." But in the end, there's reward, eternal reward, if you're a Christian and you're serving the Lord. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. You've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. It's our intention as we teach through the Word of God to reveal that God uh, is alive and that He has something to do with the human race. We gave our prophecy update. And, you know, if you're not a Christian, you ought to be trembling right now. Because the Bible said that the last days were going to come when terrible things are going to take place on the earth for the non-believers who are left after the rapture. And it's not just us talking about it anymore. Turn on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, even Animal Planet. And they're talking about the end of the world. You can't not find a show about the end of the world whether it's Nostradamus or the Mayans or the Hopi Indians or whatever weird group, they all have these ends of the world prophecies. And you've only, according to television, you've only got two years. You won't have to do any Christmas shopping in 2012. That's the good news because it's December 21st of 2012 that the world's going to come to an end. But you know what? We joke about it, but it's not funny. If you read chapters 6 through 19 or 18 of the book of the Revelation... Wow, the Gulf oil spill is like, you know, dirty water in your bathtub compared to what's going to be happening in the world. The mark of the beast, the Antichrist, demons are going to be let out from abysses. Oh, man, you need to get saved. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that Jesus Christ died for you so that he could offer you eternal life. And as we close today, uh, the men are going to be up front and you can come forward and ask them, what must I do to be saved? And they will lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. We want to be really vibrant Christians, Lord, that, that are seeking you each new day, inquiring of you. And then accepting, Lord, whatever risk you put before us. For the most part, Lord, uh, the risk isn't going to be that great, it seems, for us at this point in our lives. Uh, But there are some of us, Lord, we see every year several who find a call to missions. Uh, They give up lucrative careers. They, They give up... Uh, dreams and desires, Lord, because you replace those in their heart with something new, and they get into medical missions or missions or the ministry. the Lord doesn 't make anybody more spiritual to be full-time. It reminds us that we're all full-time. For the rest of us, Lord, we need to understand that when we get up and inquire of You, maybe You are going to leave us in our profession. Maybe we are going to work at the same place for the rest of our lives and retire there. Maybe we are going to live in these cities for the rest of our lives. But even in those places, there's going to be risk that we need to assume. Risk that we need to accept as we live positively for Jesus Christ. Maybe we'll be passed over for promotion. Maybe we'll be ridiculed. Maybe we'll be scorned. But Lord, when people have real need, when the enemy comes against them, they will know where to turn. We're the ones, Lord, that are on the front lines, filled with the Holy Spirit, able to give aid and comfort. And so I pray, Lord, that if nothing else comes out of this study, that we would all get up tomorrow or stay up late tonight and inquire of You. That we would, if we've gotten away from it, get back to that time. And if we're doing it mechanically, that we would find it infused with passion. And if we're doing it passionately, that we would have a, a more tuned ear to some of the things that you want us to do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. And I pray that each one of us is affected. And Lord, if there are people here whom you died for, they are still in the whosoever will category. They need to believe in you. Lord, bring them forward as we close to pray with Kevin and Pat and Rhett to receive eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.